And if you would like to look up on your Bibles or open your Bibles or however you read your Bible, if you would like to turn to John's Gospel, so the fourth of the Gospels, fourth of the uh, stories about Jesus' life, and uh, turn to chapter 17. And if you didn't know um, this, Jesus prays for his followers, or I think all of you or many of you will know the fact that Jesus prays for his disciples just before he's crucified. He prays for himself just before he's crucified. Then he prays for his uh, disciples who were there with him. And then he prays for us. And it's such an incredible prayer. And I also just think every time I, I kind of reread it, I'm like, wow, Jesus prayed for me. And Jesus prayed for you. And it's absolutely incredible to think that even before, uh, like thousands of years before we were, that God knew us and Jesus prayed for us. And this is what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone, as in not for his disciples uh, who were there with him alone. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray, pray also for those who will, future, believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you prayed for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you pray present tense for us. That you are at the right hand of the Father interceding even now for us. truth is God that you are just too majestic, too mighty too powerful, too awesome for us to behold and yet you invite us to know you through your son and in the power of the Holy Spirit And so, Lord, I ask now that you would take my words, the words of my mouth, the thoughts of all our hearts, and that they would be pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. On a Thursday night, 
Karen goes to choir. She's in the Air Community Gospel Choir. And uh, she goes out to every Thursday. And they had been out for the afternoon, her and the girls. They've been up to Loch Lomond to the Sea Life Center. And they came back pretty late, um, or late, given that you, we've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And, uh, and uh, I'd got tea ready, and we had tea. And then the girls were playing out in the garden. They were having an absolutely fantastic time. And Karen was about to go to choir. And, and it was the girls' bedtime. But they were just having such an amazing time that I thought, you know, I want to, I want to just let them keep having that amazing time. And, but I thought, you know, I need to set out some ground rules for them having this amazing time. And so I said, Emily and Zoe, in you come. And I was sat on the bench in the kitchen, and I said, look at me, and they both fixed their gaze on me. And, uh, and I said, who runs the show? And Emily said, Emily. And Zoe said, Zoe. And uh, then I said, no, 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 let's start again. Who runs the show? And Emily again said, Emily. And Zoe again said, Zoe. And I'm thinking, this isn't going well. And I said, girls, one more time, who runs the show? And then Emily hit me with it. She went, Jesus. And I, and I wanted to go, no, no, daddy runs the show. And I said, okay, who runs the show just under Jesus? And eventually, she, they didn't say mummy, they said daddy. And I said, that's right, and you can stay outside and play for a little bit longer, etc., etc. But it, the thing about their reaction is actually quite telling. Who runs the show? And at three years old and two years old, and I don't want to kind of get into all of the child psychology and that sort of thing, but at three years old and at two years old, they believed that they ran the show. And it wasn't like Zoe was submitting to her older sister, and it wasn't like Emily was submitting to her younger sister. Emily runs Emily's world, and Zoe runs Zoe's world. And then, obviously, they pull out the theological trump card and put their dad in in his place. But, But the reason that I want to start with that this morning is because there is a very real sense in which, if I were to repeat that question, if I were to, like, say, Jenny, tell me, who runs the show? And obviously, I want her to say Nick. Um, no, I want her to say, but, but there's a very real temptation in all of us to say me, for Jenny to say Jenny, or Brian to say Brian, or Meg to say Meg. I run the show. I am at the center of the universe. Me, myself, and I, as it is sometimes put, is the person who is most important and who makes, makes the decisions, essentially, about how I go about things. And that, we see that, I don't want to just kind of, it's so easy just to say, and in the world we see this, and in the church we see this. But we do, we do, it's true, we see it in the world. I I was kind of like looking at, um, not because I'm going to buy one or anything like that, but I I think it might have been on Top Gear or something like that. But like basically the thousands of options that there are literally when you buy a new car. Like, so if you're going to buy a new Mini or something like that, there's like... Literally, I think it would be, Lloyd, is this right? There's like thousands of options when you buy a car. You can have like Union Jack on the roof, not Union Jack on the roof, color, color inside, color outside, what color the doorknobs are, what color the window, no, we don't have window winders. But you know what I mean? Every, you, can, you can individualize your car to such an extent that it would be almost certain that there is no other car like yours in the world. And, and we see that, all, we see that in, in other places as well. It's like, you know, Vanessa, as a travel agent and and, and, and I'm certain that she sells your holiday based on this. You are the only person who is having this exact package. This is tailor-made just for you. Nobody else is going to enjoy quite the same holiday that you're going to have. Nobody else is going to have quite the same car. Nobody else is going to have quite the same setup in in their home 
decoration or sound systems. You know, you can even tailor make it, in case you didn't realize that you're not individual enough, because you are, you can even, you know, have all of these things done just to make you even more uniquely you. And this morning we're continuing a series uh, in which we're looking at uh, some values by which we might live out our vision statement here at Southside. Our vision statement is to reach out to all people, to welcome into one family and to transform every generation for Christ. And you don't know how encouraged I am, Lorna, that you are mouthing it back at me even as I say it. And I know all the rest of you were as well. But that is our vision statement. Reach out to all people, welcome into one family and transform every generation for Christ. But it's huge. It's huge, and, and the thing is that pretty much everything that we do, uh, everything reasonably speaking that we do, could fit into that. And so I was thinking, okay, we need to think about some values that will help us to live that out, some values that will more specifically allow us to apply that vision statement to ourselves. And the, and the thing is, then there could be another layer of values. I've already said that. We could take this even deeper, get even more specific with our values. Uh, but the values that we're looking at over... Uh, a six-week period, the the first one, Christ-centered. We thought about how uh, as we seek to live out our vision statement, we need to be Christ-centered. That is our number one value. Then in the second week, we thought about how we are called to be on a trajectory towards holiness, but we called it holiness trajectory. Then this week, we're looking, or I'll come to this week in a moment's time. Next week, we are looking at relevant, but not syncretistic. Relevant, but not syncretistic. Then in the fifth week, it's going to be centrality of mission. And then in the final week, we're going to think about what it means to be homeward bound. And so, as you know, it spells out church, and that means that this week we're on the U, and the U is unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. And, And it's so important that we have this, because we are diverse, we are a diverse group of people. We are, an in, uh, we are a bunch of individuals. And yet, we are not called to live indi- individualistically. We are not called to simply echo. A co- we are called to celebrate individuals without getting into this place where when it comes to church, we can each have our pick like we can have our pick over the cars we buy or the bodies we have or the holidays we go on, etc., etc. And so all I want to do over just the next short bit of time is think about this unity in diversity and why it is so important. And the reason it is so important is this, that Jesus prays that we will be one in order that the world might know me, might know the Father, might know the Spirit. That is why Jesus prays it. There is a missional imperative to this. Now, I really struggle to believe, okay, I'm just, this is just like one of those honesty moments. I struggle to believe how a church that is getting on can be the greatest missional thing. But if you think about it, when Jesus says it, he doesn't give us loads of other tips for mission. There are other biblical tips for mission. But here is one of Jesus' big ones. Love each other and people will see me. Love each other and people will see the Father. Love each other and people will see the Spirit. And that is why it is so important. That is why a central value as we seek to live out our vision is that we need to be united even in our diversity. 
And what I want to do is just quickly think about five things about unity and diversity, and then we'll come on towards the end to just some really practical, and I think they are really practical steps that we can all take to kind of grow in this. And, the, and so the first thing that I, I, just for us to think about is this, unity and diversity is our source, okay? Unity and diversity is our source. I don't know how much you time you spend thinking about God and about who God is. Um, But the reason that I say unity and diversity is our source is because God is our creator, amen? God made us in his image, amen? And God is unity in diversity. The very source of our being is unity in diversity. Because if you're kind of new to the whole Christian thing, you might not have heard us talk about the Trinity before. But the Trinity is the belief, uh, based on the teaching of the Bible, not clearly set out in the scripture, but it is the belief that God is one, and yet at the same time is three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And... The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are eternal, which means that they have always been. And so we have to kind of, when we are trying to figure out what does it look, what does it mean for us to, to, to look like God, one of the things we have to think about at times is, well, what was God like before any of us were? What was it like before, and what is it like now in the case of God? So for example, uh, when it comes to the attributes of God, God was always loving, because before we existed, God was love. The Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, the Spirit loved the Father, the Spirit loved the Son, and any other combinations that I might have missed out. God was not anger, okay? God is angry at sin, but God was not anger. You cannot, in the same way as you say God is love, say God is anger, because when it was just God, uh, and we see the essence of who God is, there was no anger. There was nothing for God to be angry with, because the Father adored the Son, and the Son adored the Father, and the Spirit adored both of them, and they both adored the Spirit. Does that make sense? And so what we're saying is, is we need to kind of look at God and say, what was he like before we were there? And in some cases, what does he, well, in all cases, what does he continue to be like now? And, and the first thing that we see when we look at God is that God is united in diversity. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is not one who sometimes appears like the Father and and sometimes appears like the Son and sometimes appears like the Spirit. He is at the same time one and three. And within the Trinity, and and I I understand this is getting a little bit theological, but stick with me because it it does uh, apply really importantly to us. Within the Trinity, there are different roles. So, for example, the Father came up with the plan for salvation. It says uh, at the beginning, uh, well, in John's Gospel, for God so loved the world, speaking about God the Father. God so loved the world that he sent his Son. So even in that that incredibly well-known phrase from the Bible, we see God the Father had a plan. He loved the world so much that he sent the Son into the world. So the Father has the plan, the Son carries out the plan, and then the Spirit gives us the benefits of the plan because it's the Holy Spirit who, who gives us salvation and to whom we respond when we, uh, when we become followers of Jesus. And so hopefully what you're seeing is that each of those roles are slightly different. Father's plan, Son enacts it out, Spirit delivers it to us. Um, 
united and yet diverse. They have slightly different, well, different roles, and yet they are a perfect unity. Ravi Zacharias says that there is unity in diversity in the community of the Trinity. And then one writer goes on to, to say this, the church is the human institution which is called to reflect or echo on earth the communion that God is eternally. In other words, it is the church's role to echo who God is. And so that means that we have, different, we have different roles. We have different things that we can do. Interestingly, it isn't saying that the Son and the Spirit had nothing to do with the plan. And it isn't saying that the Father and the Spirit had nothing to do with how Jesus enacted it, lived it out. And it's not saying that the Father and the Son have nothing to do with the Spirit giving us faith. Because at the same time as having different roles, they are perfectly united and participate each other, with each other. It's, you know, I could give you just reams and reams of deep theological stuff on this. Like, if any of you are struggling to sleep, I can definitely give you some. Because it's, you know, but, but grapple with this fact. God is both one and three, and there is unity in diversity in the community of the Trinity. So... We are called to be united in diversity because our source, the God who made us and whose image we're made, is united in diversity. But also, unity in diversity is our destination. It's where we're heading to. So you'll know this. Revelation chapter 7, it says this. After this, I looked. This is John writing down his revelation. After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is a picture of new creation. That is a picture of what it is going to be like one day when we are all, uh, all with Jesus, when there is no longer any distance between God and his people. And the picture that, that Jesus gives to John and which John writes down is a picture of unity in diversity. People from every nation, tribe and language standing before the throne of God. Not only are we united in diversity when we look at who God is and in whose image we're made, but we look at where we're heading to, the place that we are called to mirror, to go back to that quote, or echo, sorry, to go back to that quote. And again, that is a picture, a place of unity in diversity. But as I also said, unity in diversity is Jesus' prayer for us. Jesus prays it. I've said it has a missional imperative, but it also has some incredibly challenging words for us in it. Jesus' prayer for his followers, that you, that they would be one just as we are one. And in the message translation, it says this, so that they, in other words, us, will be as unified and together as we are. That's Jesus' prayer for the church, not just... It's not a small thing. It's saying that the church, that the people who claim to follow him, that the people, that people who say, yes, Jesus is our Lord, would be as unified and together as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are. 
when I, read, when I read those verses, we read them just before the prayer meeting on Tuesday night in the office, which, you know, do come along to it. It's an amazing time. But we were saying, how huge is that? If you're not slightly challenged, and it's hard to tell, but if you are not slightly challenged by the fact that Jesus' prayer for us is that we will be as united, as unified, as together, as one, as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, then there's something wrong with you. If you, if you, if you cannot look around this room, or even if you don't want to look around, just kind of picture some of your relationships in this room where you know that things might not be right, or some of the relationships that you might have with other Christians that you know might not be quite right, and then you read these words of Jesus, as unified, as together as we are. That is what Jesus is praying for the church. That is what we are moving towards. That is what we are called to be. We are called to be as together. I'll say it one more time and then maybe another time a little bit later. As unified and together as God is. It's huge. If you take nothing else from this morning, please take that. That is Jesus' prayer for us. That is what the Spirit is working for. That is what the Father desires. Unity and diversity is our source. Unity and diversity is our destination. Unity and diversity is Jesus' prayer for us. And now just a couple of things about this unity and diversity. Firstly, unity and diversity is more than simply getting on. It's much more than that. Romans 12 says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We, though many, form one body. And then listen to this, because it applies to every single one of you in relation to each other. And it applies to me, of course, as well. Each member doesn't just like, doesn't just get on with, doesn't just put up with. Each member belongs to one another. Belongs to one another. Look at the people around you. Actually do it. Look, not just the people who you're sitting by, but people behind you. Maybe people who you don't know. People in the far corner. You you know, some of you might want to stand up. Some of you in the back corner, stand up a second. Come on, stand up. Somebody in the back, a few of you in the back corner, a few of you in that back corner. Just so, and a few down the front, a few down the front. You belong to one another. You're not just called to like each other. You're not just called to tolerate each other. You're not just called to put up. That's what I like to see. Look at that. How romantic was that? But James, she is not the only one who belongs to you. And and he is not the only one who belongs to you. You belong to all of them. We belong to each other. If I had a quid for every time I hear a Christian person say, I'm not called to like everybody. Honestly. Honestly. It's terrible. I say, no, you're not called to like everybody. You are called to love sacrificially every single person in the body of Christ because they aren't just somebody who you put up with. They belong to you and you belong to them. The love that we have for each other. You know, I adore my daughters. I I just absolutely adore. I adore my wife as well, but just for now I'm talking about my daughters. I adore them. I love them so much. I cannot tell you how much I love them. And yet I read these words in scripture and I'm looking at, and that is the love that I'm aiming for for every single one of you. Because just as they are my daughters, you are my brother. You are my sister. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are my brother. You are my sister. 
You're not just called to like each other. I, I, I agree. You are not called to like everybody. You are called to love deeply from the well who is himself loved every single person in this fellowship. But more widely than that as well. In the universal body of Christ, the Catholics, the Charismatics, the brethren. I just see. I know that's a word for some of you, by the way. No, I'm just sorry. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But unity in diversity is so much more than simply getting on. And yet, I also want to encourage you in this: unity in diversity is not uniformity. It is not uniformity. Unity and diversity isn't saying that you all have to look the same. Unity and diversity is not saying that you all have to sound the same. Unity and diversity, remember going back to that picture of the Trinity, unity and diversity, but different roles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely united. And that's the same for us. You are all different. And, 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 as, a, and as a church and as the pastor of this church, I want to celebrate the incredible difference that there is in this room. I want to celebrate the, the giftedness that every Every single one of you, and believe this, that every single one of you have. We are not called to be uniform. We are not called to all be the same. It's one of the ironies, if you like, of this current, of the age in which we live, is this. That we celebrate individualism and we talk about individualism. And yet you could go to McDonald's in pretty much every city in the world and eat a Big Mac fries and Coke. But you get to... You get to personalize your meal, don't you? But do you see, it is, it is ironically that the age in which we live and which might be referred to as, you know, hyper-individualism is also the world in which at every airport you can get a Starbucks coffee exactly how you have it back at home. But unity and diversity is not about looking the same. It isn't about being the same. It's about being united in our incredible and vast difference. So I hope you know that if you've not written those down, then listen to it on the on the on the internet afterwards or something, because they are just they are not because I'm saying them, but because these are truths, these are deep, deep truths about who God is and who He has made us and called us to be. And but yeah, I, I can remember when I was a relatively new Christian and um I was, I was just kind of like set, setting out in this sense of God calling me to ministry. And my, my, uh, the pastor of the church where I became a Christian used to say to me that he always used to write, so what, across his sermon notes in light paper. And I often have like that kind of thing in my own notes. It's the so what thing, you know. I, the, the depth of some of that stuff, you know, we've kind of just skimmed it. And you can go so much deeper in all of those things. But the big question is, so what? Because we believe that Jesus wants to transform us, don't we? Fantastic. So we believe that Jesus wants to transform us. So how do we take some of these huge, deep issues? How do we take the Trinity and begin to apply it to ourselves? You know, it's stuff that just boggles the mind and has boggled the mind of people since the beginning of, the church, of church history. And so all I want to do is just quickly race through some things. And some of them may apply to all of us. Some of them will apply to some of us. Some of them might not apply, but that's fine. We're listening for what God wants to say to us. And the first thing is this. I've actually said it 
both of the previous weeks in this series. But the first thing is this. Gaze at God. Gaze on God. There's a, a saying, isn't there, that we become what we behold. And so, you know, it's almost like when you... When you see somebody who idolizes somebody, you hear them start to speak like that. Or when you hear somebody who always listens to the same uh, preacher and whatever it is, you know, they start to pray in that. I know some people, you know, they pray with like, you know, an American accent or they sing with an American accent because they're always listening to American preachers or American bands. You know, we see it in our children. They gaze at us. They gaze at us, and I don't literally just mean us. I mean, I hear the girls saying stuff like, like Danella does. It's like, man alive, I've got Karen, Danella, and two girls nagging me. But, you know, we, we become what we behold. And, and so we've said it each of the opening weeks in this series, but I would, just, I would just say to you, that's why I was saying, do you ever think about who God is? How much time do you spend? How much time do I spend marveling at however huge a doctrine it is, so to speak, to use that sort of language, at the fact that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The first thing I want to say as we, you know, and just encourage you to do is to gaze at God because as you gaze at him and as you see the unity and diversity that there is in the community of the Trinity, You cannot help but be moved and challenged at the unity in diversity that God is calling us to. The second thing is this. Celebrate each other's gifts. Celebrate each other's gifts. And and in brackets I've written in my notes because actually each other's gifts are your gifts too. Not because you are literally called to be a preacher or because I'm called to be a music leader or, or whatever it might happen to be. But because it says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. What for? For the common good. So any gifts that I happen to have graciously been given by God are not for me. They're for you. And any gifts that God has graciously given to any of you are not for you. They're for me. Isn't that amazing? And, and so we, we don't get proud and, and all of that sort of thing in our gifts. But we can celebrate each other's gifts because each other's gifts belong to us. Getting it? Can I say a little bit of nodding? Your gifts are my gifts. My gifts are your gifts. Your gifts are each other's gifts. So we need to celebrate each other's gifts. It's so amazing to, you know, there's, there's somebody in the church and, and I very often see them just going up to the person who's led worship or the person who's done something else and just giving them a big hug. And, they, and it's just like, I want to celebrate your gifts. And so, you know, maybe we should have a celebrate a gift week where you have to go to somebody, not the person who you sit by every single Sunday, not the person who you know, uh, know the best, but just go up to somebody and say, I celebrate your gifts because they're not only yours, they're mine. That might sound an incredibly selfish way about talking about it because they are for all of us. The gifts that God graciously gives are for all of us to enjoy and for all of us to grow in and through. One writer said this, if we miss the need to use gifts for the common good, we'll end up with division. If I just keep my gifts for myself and you keep yours for yourself, and we'll end up with division. 
So gaze on God, celebrate each other's gifts because they're actually yours too. The next one is this. Prefer one another. (laughs) Prefer one another. It says in Romans 12 verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It says in another translation, think of others as deserving more honor than you do. And that is incredibly challenging in our culture. It's incredibly challenging in any culture. Put others first. And, 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 and again, you know, to use the picture of family, it might be okay to do that if, for your parents or for your children or for your best friend. It doesn't matter whether you have immediate family or not to apply this. But think of the person who you love the most in the world and to prefer them, to put them first, probably wouldn't be that difficult you know if you saw your best friend and they're about to get hit by a a car you would probably without thinking jump in the way and knock them out and take the hit for them but you know to pick up on Paul's language prefer one another put others needs before yourselves God is asking you to jump in for we are we are challenged let me read we are challenged to 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 metaphorically at the very least but perhaps but actually not metaphorically we are challenged to put each other first to jump in front of that truck to save somebody else because it says prefer one another put the other person first think about how radically Jesus demonstrates this he's there in the garden and he's saying to the father take this away from me take away this cup I cannot do it and yet what not my will but yours be done Jesus is the prime example of what it is to prefer one another and we are all called to become more like him he who took our sin took our shame took our punishment took our alienation from God on his own shoulders He is the ultimate example of preferring, of thinking others as deserving more honor than himself. The next thing, don't just support my thing. Don't just support my thing. You know, if God is calling us to something, then we're all called to it. If God is calling us to move in a particular way, to get involved in a particular thing, do you know what? I don't, you know, I, I don't like everything we do in the life of the church all of the time. I come to things and I think, oh, do you know what, that, that just wasn't for me this morning. That worship this morning, I just got nothing out of it. And as soon as I do, it's like God slaps me around the back of the head and he says, it's not about you. It's not about your thing. It's about him. It's about his glory. It's about growing together unity in diversity it doesn't mean that you all have to love everything all of the time but you do have to love everyone all of the time don't just support your thing i've already said this but i just want to emphasize it recognize whose you are We've already done that in terms of looking around a little bit, but recognize who you are. In that fantastic passage where Paul is writing about, um, he's writing about sexual sin and he says, do you not know that uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received for God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's what Paul writes. And, and he's talking about sexual sin. But 
I want to apply that far more broadly than just sexual sin because it's not like Paul is saying you're, you're, you are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your body only in, terms of, uh, only in terms of that. He's talking about it in every single area of our lives. You are not your own, you belong to God. Yeah, you belong to God. But also, as we've said, you don't just belong to God, you belong to each other. So when it comes to this unity and diversity, don't just think, I belong to God and it's all about me and God. You belong to one another. We belong to one another. How are our lives reflecting that? And then the final, uh, the final thing, just as we come to a close, is this. Do life together. Do you know what? I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. When I see you guys during the week. I love it. I, I can't tell you how much. You know, I was in, I was in a bakery the other day buying, uh, buying baked goods to take to one of you during the week. And the person who was serving me was somebody from Southside. And I was just like, I love it. I loved seeing her. It was just amazing. I love it when we see the, the team in doing the food bank. I love it when I get to go and spend time in people's houses. I love it when I bump into some of you in the street. You know, it's why living in air, just a little practical tip. I'm not sure where I would get it from in the Bible. But leave 15 minutes earlier. Okay, because you're always going to meet somebody. You're always going to meet somebody, okay? I can't give you chapter and verse, but I'm telling you, leave 15 minutes earlier and then you'll be able to enjoy time with each other more because you're not going to walk down Air High Street and not see somebody that you know from this fellowship. But do life together. It says this, you'll all know it, in Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And at the beginning, I said that the reason this is important, the reason and what is central in Jesus' prayer for us is that they may be one in order that the world might know, in order that the world might see that you are my disciples, that you are my followers. And this is what it says. You all know it, but I'm going to read it anyway. The last sentence of that little section in Acts. It's just talked about how they did life together. They met in the temple courts daily to worship and pray. They ate in each other's homes. They gave to people who had need. There was nobody in the community who, 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 who went without because they all looked out for them. And then it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Unity in diversity is so important. Because when people see, and, and, you know, and this sounds like one of those huge out there sayings, and as I confess, I, I kind of, I'm like, but surely there must be more to it than this. But it seems that what Jesus is praying and what the early church is starting to demonstrate is this, that when the people of God dwell together in unity, funny this, <laughs> the blessing of God is seen and the blessing of God is salvation to the very ends of the earth. That's what he wants. 
that is the challenge to us. To do these things. I ask you simply this morning, and I ask these of myself as well, but please, don't allow these words, I mean, allow just my dross and filler and anything like that to fall away, but don't allow these truths to fall away. Because if it is God's truth, it is transformational truth for not only us, but for all of the world. Let's pray.